My name is Stuart Albright. This is a podcast about the messes we make and the messes we endure as our parents get older. It's a story about illness and loss, but it's also a story about joy. I thought mom was going to die in the hospital, but she didn't die. Like so many things before, her body almost gave up before roaring back to life. Well, that's not exactly true. She was weaker than she was before, and her mental health was fragile at best. Throughout this podcast, I've tried to include audio clips of my mom so that you can get a sense of her voice. We've recorded a number of videos and voice notes over the years, but it does make me wonder where I need to draw the line. At what point am I violating her privacy? Mom was a larger-than-life character, and she wasn't big on hiding anything. What you see is what you get, she would happily say. But as my mom slipped into mental illness, I had to reevaluate my decision. I could play the voicemail that mom left to Jenny on the day she went manic. It's still saved on Jenny's phone. In the voicemail, she laughs about telling me that I was dead to her. Then she signs off with her new favorite phrase, "Bye bye And then there's the recording on Rob's phone from that long, endless night in the hallway of the ER when mom talked nonstop for hours on end. He wanted to capture what she was saying and how she was acting so that when a psychologist finally had a chance to evaluate her, he would have some evidence of her bizarre behavior. I could include that recording too and you could hear for yourself what manic behavior sounds like and maybe I should have included that recording, but I've decided not to. It's got me thinking about some things. Am I embarrassed by mom's behavior? Is that why I'm not including these recordings? Perhaps I'm only trying to present a certain version of my mom, the carefree and loving woman who touched the lives of so many people before she got sick. By not including these recordings, am I doing a disservice to everyone out there who is suffering from mental illness? Am I saying that mental health, mental behavior is somehow disconnected from normal behavior? Something to cast aside as a defect instead of an integral part of someone's personality? I don't think that my mom is less of a person because she suffered from a mental illness. It was part of her, even though it didn't really come to the surface in the first 70 years of her life. I don't know if I'm making the right decision here, but I do know one thing. Mental illness shouldn't define my mom. She was so much more than that. After 34 days at Duke Hospital, my mom was finally released. I brought her back to her apartment, and we set up a plan to monitor her her medications every day, making sure she was taking her new psych meds in particular. I'm grateful to the psychologists at Duke who seemed to find the right mixture of medications to keep the manic behavior in check. And while mom seemed to be back to her old self mentally, she was much weaker now. I'd spent the past month researching assisted living facilities up here in the Triangle, particularly facilities that could handle patients with mental conditions like depression, bipolar, and dementia. I wanted to cover all my bases in case mom had another manic break. If that happened again, she wouldn't be able to live on her own anymore. Life took on a predictable rhythm for the next couple of weeks. 
or at least as much of a rhythm as was possible in the midst of a pandemic with both kids and I doing school from home. I'd pick up new tanks for mom each week so that she could leave her apartment. Her portable oxygen machine was no longer an option because her lungs needed so much air now. The tanks were heavy and cumbersome, and she couldn't carry them on her own, but at least it allowed us to bring her over to our house for dinner from time to time or to watch a movie with her grandkids. But we knew mom was on borrowed time. How long would it be before she had to go back to the hospital? We got our answer in early October with a week-long stay at Duke when her oxygen, oxygen readings got too low. But she rallied, rallied yet again, and by October the 6th, she was back in her apartment. Fortunately, her mental health remained steady. A month later, her brother Lee rented a vacation house for a week in Montreat, North Carolina, a beautiful little town in the Appalachian Mountains. Montreat was a special place for our family, and Mom had spent countless summers there as a, as a kid. Rob and I wondered if we could get her up there one last time. Seemed like a crazy idea, but what do we have to lose? We knew that mom was dying. It could happen in a few weeks or a few months. Nobody knew for sure. So we packed my minivan to the brim with all of mom's stuff. Just me, my mom, and my brother heading down the interstate for one final trip to the mountains. Looks like the weather's going to be better than I thought it was going to be. Anyway. We're getting on 40. We're starting the road trip. All right, here it goes. We had 12 extra tanks in the trunk of the van, and if we'd been rear-ended on that trip, we probably would have been blown to bits. Mom, what, what exit are we coming up on you to here? Old Fart. It's Old Fart. Old Fart, Till Lee. Yeah, it's Old Fart. Almost there. We told stories the whole way there, and it felt good to be with Mom. She was very much her old self, full of life, with an infectious laugh that I don't ever want to forget. Yay, I never thought I would see the gate again. Yay, we made it. The trip could have been a disaster, but it wasn't a disaster. Mom's brother Lee took her out in his convertible with the top down, and they drove through the winding mountain roads at night looking at the bright stars twinkling in the sky. And while Mom stayed with her brother Lee, Rob and I got to hike along the familiar paths of our childhood. We climbed Lookout Mountain and found the spot halfway up the trail where our grandmother used to come when she was a little girl, almost a century ago, and hopped the train with her older sister into Asheville. The autumn leaves were at the peak of their colors. I was hanging out with my best friend, and we were at peace. And on the drive home the next day, Mom was at peace as well. The trip was good for all of us. We knew that things were about to get harder, but for now, I could appreciate the fact that my mom was still alive, my brother was by my side, and life, while unpredictable and fleeting, could be filled with incredible beauty. Got your name on it. Nanny is the ornament keeper, and the boys are the ornament placers. Looking good, guys. After that trip to the mountains, I think Mom would have been okay with dying. I think Rob and I would have been okay with it, too. In the Hollywood version of our mother's life, she returns to her apartment and we tuck her into bed, where she falls into a peaceful sleep and never wakes up. Instead, like most nights, 
She slept fitfully and woke up to another day with a cannula permanently attached to her nose. The next couple of months were a grind of phone calls to make sure mom took her meds every morning and night, medical appointments, online school with my kids, trips to the tank warehouse every week. I was really starting to hate those tanks. Another week-long stay at the hospital right before Christmas. There's something incredibly depressing about a fake, drooping Christmas tree on the hallway of an intensive care unit. Phone calls late into the night in which my brother and our wives tried to decide when to move mom out of her apartment, when to call in hospice, when to tell mom that she was probably going to die soon. Once, in the middle of the night, mom tripped on her oxygen cord and fell. She couldn't get up, so she had to call 911 for help. By the time I got to her, she was bruised, but already back in bed. Mom had trouble sleeping at night, so we met with a sleep doctor who couldn't really help. The only thing I remember about that day was leaving the appointment and turning on the radio to find out that an angry mob had stormed the Capitol building in an effort to overthrow the presidential election. It was January the 6th, 2021. We were in the middle of a pandemic, my mother was dying, and the world seemed to be falling apart. By the time February arrived, we decided that mom couldn't live on her own anymore. We still didn't know how much time she had left because mom was unpredictable, and she still had an incredible will to live. But she couldn't remember to take her meds, and she slept most of the day. And when they tried to deliver her meals, she couldn't make it to the door anymore. It was time to move her yet again. My house was a better option than my brother's house. We had a bedroom on the main floor, with a kitchen and a bathroom close by. But the idea kind of made me nervous. I thought back to that week in late July when mom stayed at our house with her boundless energy and I wondered how we were going to be able to deal with her living here permanently. Surely we could make it work for a few weeks, but could we take care of her for months? I didn't know, but it seemed like the best option. If we put her in an assisted living facility again, we wouldn't be able to visit her because of COVID. It would probably be the last time we saw her in person before she died. So we told the boys that Nanny was moving in, and while we framed it as a temporary thing, everyone knew that it wasn't. For the third time since her husband's death, my mom had to adjust to a new home. But this time it was a home with her family, and she was at peace with that. This podcast was written and edited by me, Stuart Albright, with grateful assistance from Robert Albright, Molly Albright, and Jenny Albright. Technical support and resources were provided by the Jordan Innovation Lab. This podcast attempts to honor the complicated legacy of my parents, Nancy and Alan Albright. If you have questions or comments, feel free to contact me at stuartalbright at yahoo.com.